Hello, HCI learners. Welcome to another episode of Nine to Thrive HR, a podcast for the most pressing issues facing talent management today. A podcast that allows you to hear from experts and practitioners in the field. My name is Holly Pennebaker. I'm HCI's digital content program manager and your host for today. If you're listening on iTunes, please be sure to give us a rating. It helps other talent-minded people discover the program. For today's podcast, I'm joined by Susan Scott, CEO and founder of Fierce Incorporated. Susan founded Fierce in 2001 after 13 years of leading CEO think tanks, more than 10,000 hours of conversations with senior executives, and one epiphany. While no single conversation is guaranteed to change the trajectory of a career, a business, a marriage, or a life, any single conversation can. Welcome, Susan. We're glad you're here with us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And so employee engagement is a focal area for HCI in 2017. In this podcast, Susan will talk more about the exciting launch of her book, Fierce Conversations, which took place May 2nd. Fierce Conversations is your quintessential guide to productive, respectful, and results-driven communication and leadership. So Susan, how about telling our listeners a little bit more about your background and how that background led you to write Fierce Conversations initially? Well, as you mentioned, I did um, run CEO think tanks for 13 years and had many, many conversations with them. And I had two groups of non-competing CEOs here in Seattle, where I live, and they would spend one full day a month together to advise one another of their most pressing issues. And I would spend about two hours with each of them one-to-one just to surface, you know, what is the most important issue that is on your plate, whether it's a problem you need to solve, a decision to make, a strategy to design, an opportunity to evaluate. And after I'd been doing that probably maybe 11 years, um, I was reading Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, in which a character is asked, how did you go bankrupt? And he responds two ways, gradually, then suddenly. And I, I laughed because it occurred to me that This applies to our lives, how anything happens, how any major result takes place, it happens gradually, then suddenly. And I realized after all those well over 10,000 hours with my key executives that our careers, our companies, our relationships, and our lives succeed or fail gradually, then suddenly, one conversation at a time. And... In addition to that insight, a lot of my colleagues from around the world were asking me what I was doing with my groups because they were extremely successful. I was working with 32 CEOs of every industry from coffee to software and everything in between, and they were very successful. And the CEOs would often point to the meetings they were having with their peers and also their conversations with me. So I had been sharing happily what I was doing with colleagues all over the world, and the response was so wholehearted. And then CEOs said, come in and teach my executive team how to have these conversations. And the request was, please write a book, write a book, write a book. And so finally, I did. All right, wonderful. Thanks for sharing that story. 
This launch falls about 15 years after its original release. So what inspired you to revise and update Fierce Conversations? A lot has changed in the last 15 years. A lot has stayed the same. So some of the things that had changed were the emphasis on the importance of feedback. And I would love to talk a little bit about that at some point uh, in our time today. Um, A lot has changed in terms of technology, you know, how and when and where to use it. And those things were not addressed in the original book. Um, My second book, which was Fierce Leadership, did point to some of the sea changes that are going on. I wrote that book five years ago, and now a lot of what I was suggesting is coming true, which makes me very, very happy. But that didn't mean that everybody knows exactly how to deal with what is happening now. So performance management, and by the way, I hate that term management because nobody wants to manage and nobody wants to be managed, but performance management Um, you know, employee engagement, uh, virtual meetings, virtual teams, so many issues that are really very important for us to get our heads and our hands and our hearts around so that we can um, do what makes the most sense and that works, what works. All right. Thanks, Susan. So let's take an inside look. How have the conversations changed over time and what role has technology played? I love that question. Well, when I first wrote the the book 16 years ago, um, nobody was really focused on conversations. They were focused on communications, which is a very broad topic and can include marketing. Um, Conversation is much more specific. And what you see now in so many articles and so many podcasts and so many people are saying, what I want is a conversation. There are times you know, to get to your, the second part of your question where technology plays a part. We love technology. It's wonderful. And there are some times when nothing will do but a conversation, ideally face-to-face. Um, and if not, then at least on the phone, not via email. So people are saying, and you probably read this yourself, we don't want Anonymous feedback, for example. We want to have a conversation. We want our boss to tell us. We want our colleagues, our, our peers um, to tell us how are we doing. We don't want an email, and we certainly don't want something that's anonymous. And we don't want the great silence where we really don't know how we're doing. We think we do, but we don't. can't remember who said, um, if, you want to, if you want proof that the world outside your head is very different than the world inside your head, eavesdrop. (laughs) And I love that because we think we know the state of the world and the state of our career and the state of our relationships, and we don't always know. We need to have conversations. And more and more organizations have realized that it is a skill. Um, Sadly, a lot of people think a fierce conversation is one in which I'm going to hold forth and issue directives and tell everybody what I want them to do and that that is a conversation, and it is not. (laughs) The word conversation comes from the Latin conversari. It means an exchange of ideas and sentiments. It starts with C-O-N, which means with. And I was talking about that with a couple on a train in England, and the woman said, you know, my dad doesn't have conversations. He has versations. And I think that's one of the big changes is that 
leaders especially are starting to understand that they would be well served to listen a whole lot more than they're talking and to really engage in conversations and to sincerely invite um, multiple competing perspectives on whatever topic is on the table. So that's why more and more companies are saying we need to get good at this. You know, business is fundamentally an extended conversation with our employees, with our clients, with the unknown world that's emerging around us. And what gets talked about in a company, how it gets talked about, and who gets invited to the table determines what's going to happen. And equally importantly, what what's not going to happen. So we understand that conversations are absolutely central to the success of any business. It's the lifeblood of what goes on inside a company. And yes, we love technology and we use it when appropriate, but we have to know when not to use it. Thank you, Susan. And this book teaches readers how to overcome barriers to meaningful communication. So how would you describe these barriers and what approach do you take to overcome them? The biggest barrier to meaningful communication is that we are often afraid to disclose what we're really thinking and feeling. We just chicken out um, when there is an opportunity to step up to the plate and to put something um, important on the table. You know, the definition of a fierce conversation is one in which we come out from behind ourselves into our conversations and make them real. And real scares a lot of people. But I think it's the unreal conversations that ought to scare us to death because they're incredibly expensive. You know, if a problem exists, it exists whether we talk about it or not. And so we need to talk about it. And Carl Jung said, what we do not make conscious emerges later as fate. So one of the barriers to meaningful communication or conversations is our own cowardice, I think. And the reason why we are cowardly at times is because we don't know how. You know, we've, we've tried to have these conversations before. Uh, we dared to sort of push back on our boss's favorite idea or to interject um, a very different perspective than someone else has, and it didn't go well. And we end up sort of paying the price for that. And so we decide, well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And so, you know, the approach that we take to overcoming this very common um, problem for people is let us teach you how to say whatever it is that is real for you in a way that will be totally heard Uh, that will actually enrich your relationships rather than putting them back uh, on the wrong foot, and that will be useful and helpful for your organization, your team, your relationships, whatever it is. So, you know, if we want to stay current and we want to be clear that we really have a grasp on reality, and reality is constantly changing, In the uh, first chapter, I say that our greatest plans don't survive reality, and it's so true. So we need to stay current, and we can't do that if we're just sitting at the table waiting to decide whether it's safe to speak out or trying to figure out what our boss thinks so that we can say that we agree 
with her or him, that is not useful. Um, it's not contributing anything of significance to a conversation. And so sometimes when people wonder, why is my career sort of flatlined? It's because they're just agreeing with everybody else and they're not contributing what they're really thinking and feeling, which is a damn shame because no one owns the entire truth because no one can be in all places at all times. And that goes for the CEO and that goes for one's boss and colleagues. So we really need each other. So we have to understand that conversations, that's what is helping us get a firm grip on reality so that we can make the best possible decisions for the company. And then we need to say, all right, and I don't think I'm very good at offering up some ideas that others might find challenging. So I need to learn how to do that. Thank you, Susan. And we think of feedback as a one-way conversation, but it really isn't. So can you dive into your thoughts on feedback and provide some tips on improving your skills in both giving and receiving? Sure. Um, you know, if you think back to one of the first things that I shared about how we're, we're succeeding or failing gradually, then suddenly one conversation at a time, when we arrive at a suddenly, we wake up and it might be a really positive suddenly, it might be a promotion or a marriage or, a, um, you know, landing a wonderful new client or completing a project on time and under budget and, you know, for which we get a lot of kudos, or it could be very negative. It could be a loss of promotion, a loss of job, a loss of a personal relationship, a loss of a significant client. And when we arrive at a suddenly, we wake up. So what we want for our clients and for ourselves, we want everybody to stay awake during the gradually part of our lives, which is 99% of the time. So feedback helps us be awake during gradually. It is, it's sort of a small conversation during which much can happen. And it's gotten a bad rap in the past, and it deserved a bad rap because, for one thing, a lot of it was anonymous. And if it's, if it's negative feedback, all we can think about is, well, who thinks that about me and why? Um, so, But even when it's when we're actually saying something to someone face-to-face or on the phone or whatever, we forget that feedback is also expressing appreciation, saying thank you, um, acknowledging that someone just did a great job, saying to someone in the meeting this morning, you know, you, I was so blown away by the way you handled some of the challenges that were thrown at you. You did not get defensive. You invited people to say more. You thanked them for their input. I thought you were absolutely magnificent. So I appreciate that about you. That's feedback. But when we're giving feedback, we want to get others' perspectives on how we're doing in terms of achieving our goals. And we want to know have we got the right priorities? If needed, we will realign our goals and expectations according to whatever's going on in the company and changes. We want to share what we're most proud of and what makes us passionate about our work. And we want to discuss obstacles or barriers that we're encountering. And we want to, we want to talk about a skill that we want to gain or a role to which we aspire. And we don't give feedback because we connect it with criticism 
we're worried about how it will be received. We don't want to hurt people's feelings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, I mean, there's a long list. So we want to give feedback regularly. The trick is stay current with the people who are important to your success and your happiness. And it, it's not a long conversation. It's telling somebody, you know, where and when and what and why. So in the meeting this morning, um, so I've just said where and when, I noticed that you were rolling your eyes when Sarah was making her case. And I wanted to find out what was going on with you because I don't want you to appear to be judging someone else who's simply sharing in a meeting. So tell me what's going on. So we need to just ask. And we need to avoid making up the story in our head about what that meant. I mean, we do that all the time. I catch myself doing it regularly, and I have to stop myself. We make up stories about people, and then we behave as if our stories are true. And probably 75% of the time, they're not. We're just putting our own spin on it. I saw you do this, and that means X, and I didn't like that. And so we need to inquire. You know, I saw this, wanted to check in with you. What was going on? And see what they have to say, because they may say, oh, you're right. You know, I, I was, and I shouldn't have done that, and I won't do that again. Or they might say, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I am so tired. I was up with our newborn half the night last night. I can't even barely keep my eyes open. I think I was rolling my eyes trying to clear my head. We just don't know until we ask. But we also need to explain the why. You know, what is at stake here? Um, you know, your reputation on the team, your effectiveness, uh, your value of your, of your comments, um, your relationships with our customers, your relationship with me. This, you know, this is really important, and I, I don't want there to be any negative outcomes for you as a result of what I observed. So maybe it's something that's never happened before, um, and we don't even think that they were aware of it, but we want them to be aware of it. Or maybe we see a pattern that could become a problem later on, and we, we really want to share it with them so that they have an opportunity to course correct. Maybe it happened once, um, and you know you don't necessarily have an expectation that they change, but you do want to make sure they see it from your perspective, or maybe... They made a mistake, and it's really important to share insights on what could have been done better. And maybe it's a really big deal. You don't want them to do it again. So one of the reasons I, I updated the book was because in the first book, I talked about how to confront. When, you know, when you're, about to, when you're, you're coming up on a suddenly, and you, you're not ready to exit someone, but there's something going on with them. It could be an attitude or behavior performance, it really has to change, and you have to have that conversation. So, you know, I wrote about that, we teach about that, but I didn't really write about feedback, which, if we stay current with everybody, we may never, ever need to confront something because we're current, and, and there's nothing that we haven't said that needs saying. It's just that we need to know how to ask for it, we need to know how to receive it, um, and how to give it. 
And so you've mentioned, Susan, that these conversations take place in so many different settings. And so when it comes to conversation in the workplace, home, or in our other lives, what is often missing? And how does your book address that? It's really similar to what I shared with you earlier in that what is missing is ourselves, <laughs> you know, our real selves, our our real thoughts and our real emotions. And I think, you know, if we're struggling with an issue at work or at home, we might say something to somebody about it, but the part that we leave out, which is a big reason why people don't get what we're trying to say or the importance of it or get upset is because we haven't really explain what we feel is at stake. We leave that out. You know, it it would be so important to say, I want to talk with you about the effect that X is having on Y, whatever it is, you know, and here's one example that illustrates what I'm talking about. And here are the results that it is producing, um, you know, in our team, in our company, in our marriage, Um, whatever the situation, here are the results, bullet, bullet, bullet. And that, you know, I'm distressed about that. I'm concerned about that. I'm frustrated about that. I'm afraid because there's a lot at stake. If nothing changes, here's what's likely to occur, bullet, bullet, bullet. And by the way, we need to extend an invitation in no more than about 60 seconds. And it needs to end with Tell me what's going on from where you sit around this. I really want to understand. And then not jumping back in. So I think where we get into a lot of trouble um, is we, we go on and on and on. Um, we ramble. Uh, we give a lot of examples. We don't explain what's at stake. Um, we don't invite the other person to express their point of view early in the conversation. We lock on to our interpretation and we're not willing to be influenced by the other person. I mean, one of the things that I read was that Robert Redford often starts a meeting with people saying, I really, I really hope to be different when this conversation is over. I'm, I'm inviting you to influence me. What an amazing invitation that would be. I mean, I think any of us would, would really respond to someone said, I'm inviting you to influence me. I want to be different when this conversation is over. I want to see something I didn't see. I want to understand something I didn't understand. I want to consider, um, you know, I want to grow and learn from this conversation. But I think, you know, what, what a lot of people do is they just sort of, water ski through their conversations, which is staying right on the surface. Uh, it's a lot of fun, water skiing. I grew up on skis, um, and you can get a tan, but it's very different when you put on a tank and you go be- beneath the surface. And that's where there is a, a different world, a richer world, a beautiful world, an amazing world. And so Fierce Conversations is about how do we get into the most important topic that we should be talking about. So there's a word, Mokita, M-O-K-I-T-A. It's, it's a Papua New Guinea word for that which everyone knows, 
and no one speaks of. And they judge the health of any family or any organization or team by the number of mojitas that are in it. Obviously, the fewer, the better. And so we just need to make sure we are current with one another, um, that there are no hidden agendas. And so the, the book addresses how. You know, it, it talks a bit in the very beginning of the book about why conversations are so essential. And then the whole rest of the book is about how, you know, how to have these great meetings that are truly think tank meetings where innovation actually takes place and you do end up making the best decisions. How do you have amazing one-to-ones with your direct reports or your colleagues or your clients or prospective clients or your boss? How do you have conversations with your direct reports that make sure that they really are eager to take on accountability without you saying, I'm going to hold you accountable, which doesn't work. And how do you confront? How do you give feedback? And, you know, how do you raise the bar on everything? And it doesn't happen one conversation at a time. All right, and we'll move to our last question. So what led you to make the focus of relationships such a central focus of the book? Because relationships are our most valuable currency. You know, it isn't money. It isn't IQ. It isn't the ability to write code, um, design a really complicated spreadsheet, or create a very cool PowerPoint deck. Um, It's relationship. With that relationship, we've got nothing. And every single conversation that we have is either enriching or depleting our relationships. So the conversation really is the relationship. Every single conversation that I have with someone is shaping that relationship. And so one of the things I'm happiest about is that people get that, um, maybe for the first time. And are so much more aware now when they're talking with, with someone or a whole group of people that, you know, what, what it is that I say and how I say it is going to have an impact on these relationships. So what do I want that impact to be? You know, just to be, to be conscious of that. So people are making very different decisions today about where they want to work, how they want to work, where they're going to spend their money. And so we, we need to have relationships with our colleagues and with our customers that go beyond paychecks and price. There has to be something else present or we are at risk of losing those key relationships. And I really feel that um, if you want to be a great leader, a great human being, You must gain the capacity to connect with your colleagues, um, your family members, your customers at a deep level or lower your aim. All right, Susan, thank you so much for spending part of your day with HCI and for sharing your knowledge about how to transform conversations for success. You're so welcome. It's always a pleasure. And as always, we thank our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. You can find HCI on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel HCI Talent. 
Once more, don't forget to rate HCI on iTunes. We love it when you give it five stars. If you'd like to dive deeper into employee engagement, register for HCI's Employee Engagement Conference, which is coming up July 24th through 26th in San Francisco. Click Enroll at the top of the homepage, and then click the orange button marked View Conference Schedule to learn more. For 9 to Thrive and all of us here at HCI, thank you for listening.